Guys, welcome again to RUF. It's great to be with you here uh, this evening. Uh, if I don't know you, I know most of you. Some of you I know better than others. Uh, like Jeb was saying, I really want to, me, Jeb, and Hannah, we really want to know you guys. We want to be there for you as you walk through life. And uh, we, you know, we want to help, uh, as it were, shepherd you uh, through your time in college, if you're willing, uh, that would really be an honor and a delight to us. So, you know, if that's not going on already and you'd like it to, uh, let's make it happen. Um, RUF is a place uh, where we believe that uh, there's no one so good that they're beyond the need of God's grace. And uh, we also believe that there's no one so bad that they're beyond the reach of God's grace. And uh, we're kind of dealing with this tension in the part of the Bible that we've been going through in uh, the book of Genesis, this first book of the Bible. Uh, We're dealing with the entrance of sin and evil into the world, into God's good creation. And so we're coming to a story now tonight, uh, one of the most famous Bible stories there is, the story of Noah's Ark, uh, a story that many of you are probably familiar with on some level And uh, we're going to look at it together and uh, see what God has for us in it tonight. Uh, It is a longer text. I'm reading excerpts from it, so we won't read the whole thing. But, uh, you know, just so you can prepare yourself, settle in, or whatever you need to do. Uh, We'll we'll read a little longer text than we usually do tonight. But uh, it's an important one, and the details of it that we'll cover are important. So... uh, Genesis, starting in chapter 6, verse 5, and uh, you can follow along up here. Uh, This is uh, after uh, sin has entered the world, and uh, what we'll see is that the world is becoming a scarier and scarier place. So that's where we pick up. Uh, It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Uh, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth... 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. Make an, a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. 
skipping ahead a little. Uh, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth. And the waters subsided, the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, the rains from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated, and in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Skipping ahead a little bit. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Skipping ahead a little more. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Okay, a lot there. Let's pray again. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it makes sense of our experience in this world and ultimately reveals who you are and what you're like. And we pray that you would be at work in our hearts tonight as we think about it uh, and uh, look at it together. We pray that you'd guide us and uh, change us through it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, we're at a point in the story in the book of Genesis where things keep getting worse. You know, in the last couple, couple weeks, we saw that God created a good world, but then sin entered the world. And uh, last week, we read the account of the first murder. And what we see at the beginning of this passage is things keep getting worse. And what we see is mankind continually fixed on evil and everything's falling apart. And, uh, you know, the world falling apart is something we think about today, is it not? Like, isn't that what is on the, what people talk about? They're like, has the world ever been this messed up before? Has it ever been this, you know, like, politically it's so bad right now? And the conversations we hear are like, you know, things are falling apart. And a question we all, I think, tend to think about and ask is, you know, if God is so good, why is our world such a mess then? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, Why is my life such a mess if God is good? And this is a passage that's ultimately about how God confronts the bad things in our world and in our lives as well. And so uh, we're going to look at it under three headings. We're going to look at, first of all, the good news, and then we're going to look at the bad news, and then we're going to look at the best news. Okay, so first of all, we're going to look at the good news Um, And the good news is that God cares more about setting things right in our world and in your life than you do. He cares more than we do about justice. A movie that came out uh, in the 90s, one of the most famous movies, is Forrest Gump. Anybody seen the movie Forrest Gump? Uh, I know it's kind of dated now, but it's the story of um, Forrest Gump, this kind of odd guy and it kind of follows him through his life and at one point in his life he fights in the Vietnam War and he befriends uh, his lieutenant in the army, Lieutenant Dan. And Lieutenant Dan and him forge a friendship even though Lieutenant Dan is like so mean and angry and after the war, in the war, Lieutenant Dan uh, loses both of his legs and after the war they meet up a couple different times and one of the times that they meet up Uh, Lieutenant Dan is just complaining essentially about his life and Forrest Gump brings up the idea of God and Jesus and listen to what Lieutenant Dan this kind of bitter man with no legs from the Vietnam War says he says that's what all these cripples at the VA talk about Jesus this Jesus that have I found Jesus yet they even had a priest come and talk to me he said that God is listening and if I found Jesus I get to walk beside him in the kingdom of heaven did you hear what i said and he looks down at his lack of legs and he says walk beside him in the kingdom of heaven well kiss my crippled ass what a crock of s-h-i-t and as he says that you can kind of feel the bitterness toward god at his circumstances right I wonder, what is it in your life? You know, what's your equivalent in life when you think about, you know, like, this was done to me, and what is with that? Or, like, this is what I continually, this is, like, my lifelong struggle, and what the heck, God? Uh, You know, maybe it's your family. You know, why is, you know... My family hurt me, and what are you doing about it? Or the people I love are gone, and what are you doing about it? Or people don't get me, or you know, I'm dealing with this struggle that won't go away. What about all the injustice in our world? You know, we could list, we could, what's on your list? You know, what is it for you? Um, 
you know, when things are really bad and difficult, it's easy to kind of, isn't it our instinct to kind of like cry out for justice and say like, is God listening? Yeah, right. He must not be because look at my life. And, you know, based on what we've read in the Bible so far, like it makes sense to think that way because what the Bible says is that the world was created good and not sad. And so there's a part of us deep down that knows that things are off. That things are not the way they're supposed to be. And what we learn about God in this passage, uh, did, did you remember when at the beginning of the passage, God surveys the scene and it says it grieved him to his heart. It's an amazing, like God is sad that he even made the world because of how sad it has become. It's a profound statement of like the personality, the knowability of God. And what it points to is that God is sad with you. God mourns with you. Uh, He will not put up with anything that makes his world a sad place. Uh, He's a God who's determined to end the sadness, to end the violence, to end the hurt, to end the pain, because those are things that are not part of what he intended the world to be. And so that's the good news. God cares even more than you do about that stuff. But... Uh, I want to think now a little bit about the bad news. Um, The bad news is ultimately that God's judgment is directed at all of us. Um, uh, Can you go back to chapter 6, verse 13? One more. Awesome. Yeah, in verse 13 here on this slide, God says, I've determined to make an end of all flesh. The earth is filled with violence through them. Uh, He sees the wickedness in verse uh, 5. And every intention of the thoughts of the hearts of man is evil continually. Uh, What we're seeing here is what we've been learning about sin the last couple of weeks, which is that sin is in here. It's internal. And the problem isn't that certain people are doing bad stuff and other people aren't. The problem is everyone is, uh, including you and me. Everyone comes into this world inclined toward evil. Uh, my wife, Maggie, Ma- Maggie couldn't be here tonight, but she's normally here at the beginning of RUF, and she's about like that big pregnancy-wise, and we're having a baby in hopefully around three weeks. And, you know, so we're thinking about this baby boy that we're going to have. And, you know, we've, we had Margot a couple of years ago, and what you realize is the one thing we won't need to teach this boy is how to be selfish. We won't need to teach him how to sin. Like, we come into the world. It's amazing. Like, we're, we're, we're in this, like, little kid world. And it's amazing uh, just the inherent selfishness of people. You know, sweet little kids like Margot. Um, so the bad news for us when we cry out to God for justice, then, you know, God, fix this. Uh, you know, when are you going to do something about everything that's so bad? Is that uh, for God to give us true justice, he would have to do away with us too because we contribute to it. Uh, for God to take away sadness permanently, uh, he would have to make us go away because we contribute to the sadness. Um, and what you can't miss in this passage, this is really important. Uh, you see it in verses 7 and 8 here. Uh, in verse 8, Noah's no different. You see what it says in in verse 8? It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What it doesn't say is like, oh, Noah was the one exception and everyone else was horrible. So God was like, Noah, since you're good and everyone else is bad, I'm going to save you. No, 
uh, it uses this word favor, which is another word essentially for grace. Uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, last week we talked about grace, and we talked about how grace, you know, mercy is not getting what you deserve, but grace is getting the opposite of what you deserve. Uh, so somehow, not because he's a good guy, because he's not, God is going to protect Noah and his family by having them build the ark. And we'll come back to that in a sec. But uh, what, what ensues is that God brings catastrophe on the earth. Uh, anybody see the Noah movie that was out a little while ago? Uh, not that many of you clear. It didn't get great reviews. It was, I thought it was not bad. And one of the things that was good about it was the violence with which it depicted the flood. Because I think when we think about this story, we're like, oh, I'm going to decorate my child's room with like Noah's Ark characters, which is like, this was like the worst. Like this is a violent flood that brings death to creatures. You know, if we knew what this was really like, we would never put it in like children's books and on the walls of our kids' nurseries and stuff like that. God is unleashing a fury against sin. And a lot of people, I don't know how that strikes you. I wonder if there's, I'm sure there are some of us in here that kind of think like, come on, like, isn't this over the top? Like, what is this deal with the wrath of, like, come on, a God of wrath? Like, what is his problem? I think it's all of our tendency to think that. And uh, there's a, a writer named Becky Pippert who kind of responds to that uh, notion that we have. And she says this. She says, God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but his settled opposition to the cancer of sin, which is eating out the insides of the human race that he loves with his whole being. And what she's getting at is that without, there's, like, love is not love unless it's, there's a wrath to it, you know? Like, I love my daughter, which means, like, there will be a fury that wells up inside of me if someone hurts her or if she hurts herself and messes up, uh, you know, if she's messing up her life, you know, a fury will well up in me because of the love. And that's what the love of God is like, um, you know, just as you're thinking about that, another kind of notion you might have is like, yeah, right, this didn't actually happen, though. And a lot of people think that. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot that this has going for it as far as historicity. Like, the first is that, like, it's not written as a myth. Like, the measurements of the Ark are included in this account. Like, it's not written like, oh, this is this mythical tale of a boat. Like, it's written as a history and uh, other ancient cultures actually have this story as well. Like, there's many, there are many flood accounts from different kind of areas of this part of the world, uh, which, you know, verify that probably a flood did occur. Um, and just so you know, like, um, it's unclear whether this flood was a flood of the known world or the whole world. You know, I think it's our tendency to read this and think like, oh, look, the whole globe was engulfed in water. And, uh, you know, it would be okay, according to this text, if it was the known world, you know. I don't know if it was, like, flooding in Connecticut at this time. And it doesn't matter for the text. Uh, okay. Back to what we're talking about. Uh, the bad news, right? We're naturally inclined toward evil. We all would deserve the same fate. Um, the question is, then, if God's doing this, if God's hitting the reset button 
with Noah and his family, how is it ever going to be any different, right? Noah isn't in the ark because he's a better guy. It's because he found favor. He found grace from God. And so what that means is that after the flood, like what's going to stop the same stuff from happening? You know, won't the world just stay sad? Is there any hope for us? And that's where we get to the best news. This is where we'll kind of wrap up tonight. Um, The best news is that God provides a way through judgment. And it's this big word, the covenant. Um, What happens after the flood? Noah makes an offering. And Noah makes an offering because it shows that he gets what just happened. He gets that his life is fully dependent on God. And God says this amazing thing. He says, I'll never again do this. I'll never again curse the ground. And there's this new beginning. uh, And he talks about him being made in God's image. And he gives the same command he gave to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, But they're still there. It's the same situation, right? Sinful humanity living on the earth. But then, uh, can we go to 9, verse 9? I think I had 1 or 2. Yeah, the last one. Chapter 9, verse 9. God introduces this idea of the covenant. He says, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and so on. I establish my covenant with you, never again to destroy the earth. Um, you know, covenant is not a word we use very often. I don't use it very often. But uh, a covenant is like a binding promise. And, you know, the best, you know, the best example that we have of it in, like, daily life is a wedding vow. A covenant is, like, on the level of a vow, a promise. And I think I've mentioned it here before, like, wedding vows are the best. I'm the only one married in this room, right? Like, m- wedding vows are the best because I go through life with someone who, like, all of our family and friends saw her promise to love me. And it's the, be- like, we have, like, it's the closest relationship because uh, we've promised to love each other. And there's such a freedom in knowing that Maggie has bound herself to me in the way that she has. Um, here, God is doing that with the whole earth, with everything in it. Uh, but how can God do that? Like, how can God do that if the problem that was there before is still around now? And we get an idea from what the sign of the covenant is. You know, the sign is the rainbow. God says, I, will, I have set my bow in the cloud. And he says, when the, bow in the, when, I, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember my covenant. Uh, this is the sign of the covenant. And, you know, rainbows are amazing and beautiful, right? Remember the double rainbow video? And the guy's like, what does it mean? Um, Like, we love, like, rainbows are beautiful. Is that the point of it? It's this beautiful sign? No. Um, There's a lot more to this sign than that. And we know that because the word that's used for bow, I've set my bow in the cloud, uh, it's not rainbow. It's actually battle bow. Like, uh, you know, like a bow and arrow. And, uh, and God says, I've hung up my bow, which is a way symbolically of saying, you know, what I just did is never going to happen again. And it's interesting because you, as you think of the bow in the cloud, think of it cocked like this. Which way is it pointing? 
is pointing at heaven. And that's what the covenant is all about. What the covenant is about is next time, if this needs to happen again, the way I will fix it is that the wrath and the judgment will come on me instead of you. That's what my promise means. That's the way I'm binding myself to you. Um, the reason that Noah and his family can stick around, and the reason we can stick around, is because God is, is imp- implementing this ultimate, you know, this alternate form of justice where he himself will bear the penalty instead of us. That's the way, God's going to make things better through justice and grace. And, you know, the rainbow is an amazing symbol of that because the rain, when do we see rainbows, right? Right in between the thunder clouds and the sunshine, a rainbow appears. And, you know, that's such a great symbol of justice and grace, right? At the intersection of justice and grace is the rainbow. And ultimately, you know, later on in history, the thing that will stand at the center of justice and grace is the cross. You know, the cross is where just God's justice, his wrath against the sin that's tearing up humanity, and his grace, his love, his desire to give people the opposite of what they deserve meets in this beautiful way as God himself comes and dies in the place of sinful people like you and me. Uh, are you tired of everything that's wrong in your life and in the world? There is a God who saves. You need to know the God who saves. Um, Are you living to save yourself through school, through career, through relationships, through money, through setting everything up in your life? Or are you trusting in a God who saves? Only this God will say, I'll die for you. You can be free. I will literally do anything to be with you. Uh, That's the only source of hope. Uh, That's the only thing that can actually keep you going as we look around and see everything that's messed up. Uh, God is making things right, and he has found a way to be with us forever. So let's uh, close in prayer and uh, continue thinking about that in our discussion groups in a bit. So let's pray. Uh, Father, Uh, We thank you for your grace and your justice, Lord. Uh, We thank you that you care more than we do. We thank you that you know what our life is like, and ultimately that you know us, and we pray that we would uh, find our life in your grace, uh, in the covenant love that we have in Christ. I pray that each of us would know that more tonight. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.